Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, ve ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka, befinu ufi amka b'it Yisrael, v'niye anaknu, v'etza enu, v'etza etza e amka b'it Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka velom de Torateka, lishma, Baruch atah Adonai, Hamlamed Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai. All right, so I'd like to welcome Eitz Hadat. Hadat is the proper way to say that. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So um, this is taking place in Bereshit chapter 3. And so I want to start with the Midrashim, so that we can have the biggest picture ever. And then we're going to zoom in like Mandelbrot fractal zoom in on this subject. I just want to prepare everyone. Please get comfortable. This is going to be a very, very long teaching because this is something that has just kind of uh, monumentally shifted me uh, since I have, uh, you know, covered through this, uh, the insights and just have been thinking about it. And so without further ado, I am finally now podcasting it. And this was supposed to be like a book of some sort, but I mean, it's really just a compilation of sources. So, uh, with that being said, uh, if you are willing to suit up with me and let's enter into Bereshit chapter three. Shomer man style. All right. So I will begin with Pearl K, which is Pure K de Rebbe Eliezer, chapter 13, page 41. And uh, this is the one that is translated by Abraham Yaakov Finkel. So uh, if you have that version, it's um, the Yeshivat Bet Moshe and Scranton PA publishing. All right, uh, so yes, yeah, so you can check that out. It's the first edition. Uh, that's what I'm using. So that's my first source. Bibliography is going to come in with everything that I drop today. All right, here we go. So in this section, it starts with the serpent entices Hava. Okay, so Hava is Eve, and here we go. The serpent thought, I know Adam will not listen to me because it is hard to persuade a man. I will talk to the woman who is fickle, and I can surely entice her. As it says, she can be convinced and knows nothing. Mishle 9.13 Just a quick synopsis of the commentary on uh, that verse, that it's really talking about two different types of women, one who's naive and one who's drawn to, to evil, wickedness, and rebellion. And it basically um, connects back to this because, you know, was Eve considered to be naive or was she drawn to evil? And, you know, when you look at the consensus of it, it seems like it's a little bit of both because, you know, there's a bigger story at play than just, you know, what we see her words to be in response to the serpent. Because it seems like a naive approach, but then it's like, 
but why do I not get to eat from this tree? What What's going on? And so there's kind of this um, lingering uh, idea or a lingering thought that comes into mind because as we continue to read, I want you to key in on the fact that Hava is speaking with the serpent and the serpent has a goal. Okay. And so in order for the serpent's goal to be met, he has to have an exchange of words. So without these exchange of words and without her being aware of that, that's the first thing. So uh, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and read that commentary because I think it's very important. Since I'm going to be as thorough as I possibly can, let's go ahead and be completely thorough. All right, so this is the this is the art scroll Metzora Ketuvim from uh, Art Scroll. It is the commentary of that of Slika of Mishle, which proverbs. So the Ketuvim is the uh, the writings with commentary anthologized from the rabbinic writings. And it is by Rabbi Nasson Sherman and Rabbi Mayer Zolowitz. And uh, yes, it is published by Art Scroll. So this is, let's see here. Yep, doesn't say any kind of special editions. So there you go. All right. Oh, first edition from 2016. And published by Medzora Publications, Brooklyn, New York. BK in the house all day. All right, so here's our commentary. Mishle 9.13, Proverbs 9.13. Literally says, the woman of foolishness is tumultuous. The woman of simpleness does not know anything. So literally what's quoted here is the... The part where it says she can she can be convinced and knows nothing. And so that is connected to the woman of simpleness. So anchoring this down to lean more towards the woman of simpleness. And when you look at that, um, here's where we're going to go. It says the woman of simpleness is ignorant and naive. She does wrong because she doesn't know better. Therefore, if she becomes wiser, either learning from others or coming to the real realization of what is right, she will relent from her attraction to evil. But there is little hope that an intentionally foolish person can or will improve. So, we're going to go lean towards the the woman of simpleness because that's what's quoted here in our text. But just so we cover the other part, it says the woman of foolishness turns away from wisdom because of her appetite for the forbidden. She is rebellious and tries to entice men to join her. And then going down to the end of this, it says, alternatively, a woman of foolishness makes an uproar and shouts foolish things, but she does not even know what she is saying. And that is from Mary. Okay, so M-E-I-R-I, Mary. All right, so there's this whole understanding here that this verse is connected to Hava, according to Pirkei de Revi Eliezer. So... 
that's kind of a slam way to start off this this uh interesting topic here so it goes on to say the woman or the serpent approached the woman saying is it true and it's important to note the hebrew uses the word off and the word off in this verse for is it not so or uh, did Hashem really say getting into his introduction words using the word off the word off is the word for anger it's also the word for nose also connected with wrath you know how you crinkle up your nose when you're angry so the serpent with this angry face and um you know this anger is speaking these words and anytime you speak out of anger you can guarantee and take to the bank that if it hasn't been checked and if you haven't had time to breathe that you're gonna be off base so it's important to note not to be a person of anger this is why we're exhorted and taught and admonished be angry but do not sin okay so you know we really have to put a check on that that anger is good but if it's unchecked unbound if it hasn't been taken captive then you're going to remove yourself off base this is why when you see debates uh particularly religious debates and discussions that are debates they become just a horrible train wreck because there's anger sources are forgotten rational rationality is forgotten so the serpent is already there so we're going to learn the whole backstory of why anger is the first thing that comes to mind for the serpent but for the woman she's just being you know i'm you know loving life and everything's good and all of a sudden comes in you know and it's like whoa by the way the serpent was uh, the height of a man, like he walked around like a person. So there's something to take into effect, <laughs> you know, kind of like uh, if you if you people who play Mortal Kombat, you know, Luke Kane turns into like this dragon thing that, uh, OK, I know this is crazy way off base, but just to kind of give you a picture, that's what it looked kind of like. Didn't look completely like that, but, you know, the dragon, he was able to stand up and walk around. You know, snake looking, serpent looking. Okay, there you go. All right, so anyway, it says, <clears throat> the serpent approached the woman saying, is it true that you were commanded not to eat the fruit of this tree? That's right, she replied, as it, as it says, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, dot, dot, dot. Her words gave the serpent an opportunity to ensnare her. The words that were exchanged gave an opportunity to ensnare. So we have, this is why we should be very careful with our words. Continuing on. Said the serpent, this command is rooted in envy. When you eat from this tree, you will become like God. What does God do? He creates worlds and destroys worlds. You will also be able to create worlds and destroy worlds just as he causes death and restores life. So you will be able to cause death and restores life, restore life. As it says, really, God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Verse three or chapter three, verse five. The interesting part about this 
our eyes being open have nothing to do with the words and the ability and the power to create and destroy. If you continue to remain objective on this, you quickly see it's like, oh, you're not supposed to eat from the tree. Well, that's because it's going to make you like God. Uh, you're going to be able to create worlds and destroy worlds. And you'll also be able to um, cause death and restore life. And boy, don't we know that our words do that. So from there, it goes on to say, literally in verse five, that your eyes will be open. God knows on the day of it, your eyes are going to be open. Because when your eyes are going to be open, then it's going to connect to all this other stuff. So it's just kind of like, okay, so you want me to eat from the tree because you want me to be like God. You want me to eat from the tree because you want me to be able to create and destroy. You also want me to be able to cause death and restore life because you want me to be like God. So this is already detached from Hava herself. This is like projected onto her. This is like, Yes, you want to be like God. Yes, you want to be able to do what he does. Yes, you want to be able to uh, create worlds and destroy worlds. Don't you? Don't you? You know, and imagine pushing someone into a corner with your words, with your expressions. This is what is happening. So if you're a person of simpleness and naivety and you're just minding your own business and you get waylaid by this, it's kind of like, okay, so what really is going on here? Why why do I need to eat this fruit at the point at this point? I have a very angry person coming at me and they want me to do something because they feel like I'm lacking. They want to make me feel like I am lacking. So why? Why engage? Well, let's continue reading. The serpent then touched the tree. The tree cried out, "Wicked one, do not touch me, as it says. Let not the foot of the arrogant tread on me, and let not the hand of the wicked move. Tehillim 36, 12 and verse 13. Psalms, 12, or Psalms 36, verses 12 and 13. So the tree is speaking. The serpent is speaking. The woman is speaking. And now the tree is speaking. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, pun intended, that if the tree said, wicked one, don't touch me. Why in the world would we go ahead and touch the tree? It's like, well, surely I'm not wicked. Maybe am I wicked? Tree, tell me. Again, who is your authority? Who is the one who lets you know if you're wicked or not? Who is the one that, you know, should know the plans and the purposes they have for you? You know, like, this is kind of interesting to me. So this is really, you know, why I wanted to put this podcast out. So continuing on page 42 says, said the serpent to the woman, you see, I touched the tree and what's left out of this. As far as the commentary, don't listen to that tree. That tree is, is silly, but I need you to eat from it because it was just kind of swept under the rug. The tree was like, first of all, you're wicked. And then second of all, um, don't touch me. And it's just kind of like the serpent's like, whatever, I'm back to Hava over here because I need to talk to her. He says, you see, I touched the tree and did not die. Go ahead and touch it and you will also not die. So whatever we possessed before we ate from this fruit, which was a lot, by the way, 
We had complete union with Hashem. And I, I fast forward to when we were in the wilderness, in the clouds of glory, Hashem had the rock that gave forth water. We had, you know, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. We have fresh manna that was ready for us every morning. And if you get into the Midrashim on that, it came with its own table, with its own manna cover, and then the water made, uh, you know, benches and beds and couches for people who didn't have anything. And then the cloud, you know, uh, kept everything level. So, you know, you could be walking in the desert, not experiencing heat, not getting rocks in your shoes, your shoes aren't wearing out and all this kind of stuff. And what do we say? We want meat, Hashem. And it's just kind of like, is the food that I'm supplying for you not good enough? Is the fact that you have no reason to thirst because you know what you have here is ready at your dispense. It is the equivalent of, man, I'm thirsty. Hashem, you brought us out here to die. And it's like, look in the fridge. <laughs> There's water in the fridge. Go to the rock. You get water from the rock. And by the way, every time the children of Israel stopped for their camps, the water would give forth rivers of living waters so that their whole campsite looked like the Garden of Eden inside the clouds. And once they would leave that place, the, the wilderness that they passed through literally looked like a garden. So there was oases in the desert. So they go out, you know, and there's barren desert wasteland. This is all in Legends of the Jews. And this is also in the Midrash says, and this is also commentaries that are brought down in the Humash, you know, about the traveling and the encampments of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, you got Parsha Beshalach, which is uh, when Pharaoh sends out the children of Israel to go into the wilderness. You got uh, Parsha Bamibar, which is the beginning of Numbers, the book of Numbers, that whole Torah portion. And then you got uh, Maaseh and Matot, which is Maaseh is uh, journeys. And then you got Matot, which are the tribes. So that whole double Torah portion that concludes the book of uh, Numbers, they talk about that in commentary. And then if that's not enough, Parsha, Nitzavim, and Vayelik go into that. Uh, and also Parsha uh, Kitavo. So Kitavo, Nitzavim, Vayelik, if you look at kind of that chapter 29, chapter 30, all of that in Deuteronomy, you'll see all of this information there as well. So rewind all the way back to the garden. What's the serpent trying to do? Trying to disconnect us and make us feel like we're lacking something. We're not lacking anything at this point. We have all that we need because we're with Hashem. There is no separation. You understand Adam and Hava had perfect relation with Hashem. He walked with them in the cool of the day. The garden was giving forth food without you having to tend it. You know, you didn't have to prune it. You didn't have to pull up weeds. You didn't have to get the water hose out. You know, all this kind of stuff. It was already doing everything. And if you were hungry, you said your bracha and you picked whatever you were eating, you know. So like, here's an apple, you know, eat the apple, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So whatever we needed, we had it. 
But yet the serpent comes in and tells us, actually, you don't have everything you need. There's something missing. And by the way, the serpent is doing this from a tone of anger, very bully. He He's a bully at this point. He's pushing the woman around. He knew he couldn't talk to Adam about this. So he went to Hava, you know? So like, if you just look at the premise of everything, you see it's all flawed. So how did this even go down? You know, so you, without looking at the full picture here, it's just kind of like, okay, I can see why if you don't pay attention to your surroundings, then that causes some issues. So had Hava thought about these things or had Adam been there wherever he was, maybe he was off praying or doing something or, you know, some, some commentaries bring down that he was right there. That's why the woman was able to eat and then give to him. So it's just kind of like, okay. But anyway, I digress back to Pearl K. It says thereupon the woman touched the tree. Seeing the angel of death approaching, she said, by the way, she knew what the angel of death looked like. So she saw it. She was like, oh, here comes the angel of death. What's he going to do? Because he's related to death. He's probably going to kill me. So this happens. So if she lacked any kind of knowledge or if she lacked any kind of insights or smartness, how in the world does she know that was the angel of death? Anyway, she said, so here's her words. So here's the deal. Nothing was lacking, but she's being tricked into this. Why? <laughs> Listen to her words. Perhaps I will die and the Holy One, blessed be he, will create another woman and give her to Adam. I will make him eat from the tree too. If we die, both of us will die. And if we remain alive, both of us will live. You can see why the story of Romeo and Juliet by Shakespeare, or as we say in the hood, Shakespeare, uh, is a thing because it's right here. Like, no, I got to drink this poison, you know, and, uh, you know, and he's got to drink the poison. So, you know, we'll both die together. And, you know, if we both drink the poison and we both don't die, then, you know, we'll totally be fine. But at least we both are on the same level. And it's kind of like, okay. Interesting way to think about things. Says she took and ate the fruits of the tree and invited her husband to eat some of the fruit with her. When Adam ate the fruit of the tree, his eyes were opened and he suddenly realized he was naked. His teeth were set on edge, which means with remorse. He said to her, what have you given me to eat that has caused my eyes to be open and my teeth to be set on edge? Just as my teeth are set on edge, so will the teeth of future generations be set on edge, for they will suffer death as a result of my transgression. I want to bring in Lakute Torah here. This is the Chasidishi Parasha from the Farber edition. Chasidishi is an interesting word, uh, like a a chassidish, like a, a chassid-ish kind of thing. That's literally what this word is. So I said chassidishi, but you can say chadish-ish uh, parasha. It's the Torah or dash Lakute Torah, an English digest of selected ma um, mamarim on the weekly parasha 
from Torah or Dash Lakute Torah, compiled by Rabbi Yaakov Goldstein. And uh, this is published by Yaakov Goldstein, and it's from Betar Elite Yisrael. And it says, you can also check this out at Shulkan Aruk Ha Rav dot com shulkanaruk harav dot com and so it's a halakhic website that contains the largest english database of detail halakha available on the web so this is a compilation of hasidic teachings lakute torah torah or all right so on parsha bear sheet which is where you know this whole incident happens I want to go to the section of this, and it talks about the knowledge of the Nechash, which is the serpent. This is what it says. It's on page 28. It says, earlier we asked how the Nechash knew the power contained within the tree of knowledge, which is Eitz Hadash, the tree of knowledge, also known as Da'at. So if you're Ashkenazi, you turn soft tavs, which means they lack a doggish in the middle, the little dot in the middle. You can turn those into a S sound. And so instead of saying Shabbat, you can say Shabbos, Shabbos. Okay. And instead of saying Da'at, you can also say Da'as. Okay. So anyway, Eitz Hadas or Eitz Hada'at. Either way, it's the same word. So depending on if you're Ashkenazi, you do the S. If you're Sephardi, you do the T. All right, cool. It says, and why he was so determined to make man sin. The Nakash was determined to make man sin. That's why anger, frustration, bullying, and, um, you know, making stuff up was like his MO. Okay. I'm just going to go out on another limb since we're talking about trees, that someone with that mentality, someone with that attitude, someone with that air about them, there's no way they're there to help you. Okay, I'm just going to just put that out there. There's no way the Nakash was there to help Hava. Because if he was, he would have went to Adam first, and then he would have encouraged them to eat from the other tree, <laughs> which we didn't get to eat of because we ate of this one first. So it's just kind of like, what if we would have ate from the tree of life first and then ate from this tree? Like, what would have happened then? Notice the Nakash didn't want to talk about that, nor did he have that in his mind. He's just like, as long as I can get them to do this, I mean, it's like a suicide mission because he ended up losing an arm and a leg for that. It cost him an arm and a leg. It was very expensive. It was a high price. So anyway, um, that's not the way to get a leg up on the competition, by the way. So I continue page 28. The knowledge of the Nakash did not come about due to him being smarter than man or better informed of the secrets of creation. Listen to this. The knowledge of the Nakash did not come about due to him being smarter or better informed. Okay. Smarter what? Than man and better informed of the secrets of creation. So. Man was pretty smart because we named all the animals. And because Hashem spoke with us, we had the whole entire Torah, which gives us the secrets of creation. So the Nakash, you know, he has a knowledge 
that did, that came about not because he was smarter than us and not because he was better informed of the secrets of creation. I don't know how many times I can say that. I think that's just like profound. It says, but rather simply because his very life came from the tree of knowledge. He was not smarter and he did not have the secrets of creation, but his very life came from the tree of knowledge. This is like even the commentary is all about puns because the next phrase is as he was rooted in the same form of evil as the tree itself. Remember, the text calls this tree the knowledge of good and evil. So if you only have the evil speaking up. Then this is only half the story. So the serpent only had half the, so the story, but that was the only side he was speaking from. Selah, half the story. And this is where his life came from. He came from the, the evil root of this tree. And this tree is what gave him his life force, gave him the ability to to trick us, even though he was not smarter than us. And even though he did not have the secrets of creation. I continue, both the tree and the Nakash were rooted in the Klippa. Klippa is another word for the shell. It's another word for impurity. Uh, and a Klippa is something that contains light. So if you look at, um, you know, a light bulb that you put in a lamp and you cover the shade, you cover the light bulb with a shade, that would be a, a, a Klippa for a lack of better terms. This is a poor example, but a klipa, you know, it can have a hard shell, it can have a soft shell. A uh, better example would be like an orange versus a nut, okay? Like if you crack a pecan or crack a walnut, you know, inside is really the fruit of it. You know, if you peel an orange, inside the peeling is the actual fruit, okay? So that's what a klipa is. It can be thin, it can be a, like a membrane, or it can be just like super thick. You need a jackhammer. So for this, it says both the tree and the nakash were rooted in the klipa that contains good and bad. So there was good in the nakash, but he was speaking from the evil part of himself, not the good part. He mixed in the good with his main focus, which was the evil. So the tree and the Nakash contain good and bad, hence why there's a Klippa. So inside the Klippa, you know, the Klippa most times is bad. You know, it's like the covering, the outer shell, you throw that away. You get that out of there. But the light that is contained inside, that's what you want. You know, uh, there are sometimes, you know, like there apparently is something uh, beneficial to uh, eating the the uh, the husk of an orange, uh, you know, like orange peels and things like that um, and and different other fruits, you know. So not to digress into all that, but when it comes to the klipa, you know, the outer shell typically is like you want to break through that, you know, so. It's like it's there's good here. So I need to get to it. So um, just a quick little toss in here that this is the Messiah Yeshua in the Klippa of 
our exile today, which is the exile of Rome, which is Edom, which is the church Christianity. Christianity is a klepa. And if you break through it to get to what's inside of it, that's what you really want. So anyway, that's beyond the scope of this podcast, even though this podcast is ridiculous uh, as far as the information that's in it. But uh, that's another topic. Anyway, so Klepa, just stick with Klepa for a second. Okay, so the Nakasha's knowledge of the tree's power was simply knowledge of his own personality and source from which it derived. The Nakasha's knowledge of the tree's power was simply, this is, this is how the Nakasha knew, hey, you should eat of this tree because like it's, it's got all this stuff. It's got all the, the bells and whistles that you really need that you're missing. And all of that is simply knowledge of his own personality, which he's wicked, and then the source from which it derived, which was evil. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, yeah, man, don't you want all this stuff? And it's just like, well, that's wicked. That's evil. Uh, it's inside of something. I don't think I want anything to do with that. No, you do want something to do with this. You want this right here. You need this right here. Okay, that's what's going on. That's the dynamics. Continuing on, it says, it is for this reason that the Nakash was so adamant. Look at this word, adamant. The Nakash was adamant. Think about the Nakash versus Mashiach Yeshua because these are the two prototypes. Nakash and Mashiach, by the way, have the same numerical value of their Hebrew words, which is 358. So the Gematria is what that's called. The Gematria of Nakash and the Gematria of Mashiach is 358. Okay, so with that being said, you have a picture of Mashiach and you have a picture of the Nakash. You can do a compare contrast with that. What do you see that's different about Mashiach that's different uh, from the Nakash? The Nakash is adamant that you do evil, adamant that you listen to him and have knowledge of who he is and follow after him. Nope. I mean, I don't want to say follow after because, you know, that's really the, that's behind the scenes. I just want you to know up front that you just need to be powerful. You just need to be all this because the main thing about worship of self is that you end up following the Nakash because when you follow yourself, you're you're doing exactly what he is. Because remember, the power of the tree of the knowledge, power of the tree of the Etadas is knowledge of self. Okay, which is all connected to evil, connected to wickedness. Anyway, so you'll notice most people who are worshipers of self, typically they're evil. So say la. Anyway, so Mashiach, on the other hand, who's completely like, nope, I have nothing of my own. Nope. I only do what my father in heaven has commanded me. I only speak how he's commanded me to speak. I only do what he wants me to do. You know, uh, take my yoke up on, on you. Learn from me. You know, follow me. Lose your life. Lose yourself. You know, forsake your desires. You know, all this. Mashiach's adamance is that we abrogate control. The Nakash is like, no, you take control. So uh, in the grand scheme of things, Selah. 
you know, just looking at what are we doing? Who are we following? What what is really going on? Why is this even happening? Okay. So the Nakash was adamant that it's so so adamant to cause Adam to sin as his very essence was in jeopardy if Adam succeeded in refining the world. Now the the even deeper truth comes out. It's like if I don't get them to eat from this tree, if I don't make up this beautiful presentation for them, my very existence is at stake. Wow. Because if Adam succeeds in refining the world of evil, which he would, if he would have continued with Hashem and not ate of this tree, which is just a little hint to us that if we're following Hashem, Attaching ourselves to him today, hearing his voice, you know, forsaking our desires, uh, you know, leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledging him. If we begin to do that, that's refining the world of evil and the very existence of it will go away. Hmm. That's like when Tony Stark, <laughs> you know, snapped the infinity gauntlet just like you know what i want to refine this thing i'm i'm tired of evil and it's like bam you know obviously that cost him his life hence why we have to die to ourselves. the beautiful thing about us dying is that he who was faithful to resurrect us you know is there because you know we lost our life for his sake and what does the text say if we lose our life for his sake you know that we will find it so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and tab that verse real quick. Um, let's see here. Just to make sure we source that out. Sleek, huh? I mean, I apologize. I'm uh, making sure I get this squared away for us. Okay. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And to lose your life for my sake is to find it. Matit Yahoo, Matthew 10, 39. All right. So anyway, not that we need to be snapping infinity gauntlets, but, you know, yes, <laughs> we need to refine the world of evil. And in order to do that, we have to abrogate control. It's what Hashem wants, not what we want. Continuing on page 28, because that's how long this commentary is. He was furthermore infuriated by the fact that Adam was not even required to engage him in battle and could simply ignore his existence and refine the world through service of God in the positive commandments. Oh, no, he didn't. He said, man, I'm so bad right now because I can be defeated without Adam even engaging me in battle. That's got to go. That's got to stop. I'm out. I'm done. I ain't doing that. Uh-uh. No, he going down. He going to talk to me. And it's just like, oh, so if we never would have engaged the serpent in conversation and just focused on being with Hashem like we were, he would have gotten annihilated. That is the infinity gauntlet snap by Hashem. And it's just like disappear like. He's gone like no evil. We're done. Battle's over. Well, that would have been a short fight. I mean, there's there's no nothing. That's it. 
The, the battle is in the service of God and in the positive commandments, the things that we should focus on doing, not the things that we should refrain from doing. We need to understand that the Torah is consisting of positive commandments and negative commandments. There are literally, there are 248, this is on page 28 as well in the Kute Torah, 248 spiritual mitzvot that existed. And these mitzvot draw down a great energy of godliness into the world, which would attract all of the divine sparks found in all of creation. Once the divine sparks would would leave the powers of evil, evil would cease to exist and divine intent of creation would be fulfilled. 248, my people, is the gematria of Abraham. This is why Abraham and his descendants is why we have to be attached, why we have to be sons and daughters of Abraham, why we have to be Jews, which is why we have to be converted, you know, converted, Slika, if we uh, weren't born into his family. And if we were born into his family, we still have to convert, you know, and it's just kind of like, wow, because when we do that, that's the end of evil. That's the end of wickedness, because in these positive commandments, there are 248 of the you shall do the do's, which are the weightier things of the Torah, which trump, by the way, the negative commandments. So any commandment you see, don't do this, don't do that. Focus on what Hashem said to do. And that's what you should pay attention to. Because through the 248 commandments, that's how you're going to bust up the klipa, no matter how thick it is, no matter how thin it is. And you're going to cause that hidden light to be revealed. And it's going to cease to empower evil because evil can only exist because its source is the light. This is why the church only exists today, because its source is the light of Torah. But that very source of Torah, it conceals, it tells us don't follow it, it tells us reject it, and it's the very life force of it. If that's not insane, I don't know what is. But anyway, I digress. Back to page 29. He therefore, the serpent, he therefore put all his energy into seducing Hava and Adam. Notice who he wanted to seduce first, Hava. He's like, I want to come into the one who can be persuaded, not the one who's already made his mind up. Side note, Hava, this is this is a little drop for her because I'm going to get into Or Hakim in a minute and he going to back her up like a Tonka truck. Like he is on it. Like he's just like, uh-uh, Hava ain't going down like that. <laughs> not in my book. But anyway, I digress. So uh, this whole idea of being steadfast and immovable, I want to source that out because uh, that's a verse that is uh, really, really cool that was penned by um, Shaul Hashliach, which is Paul the Apostle. It comes from one of his letters to Corinth, chapter 15, verse 58. Uh, it's delineated as 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But as I always say, whenever I talk about the letters to the Corinthians, that, you know, in the first letter, first in 1 Corinthians, it mentions in there that in a previous uh, letter that I wrote to you. So it's just kind of like Shaul is saying, I wrote to you before, but, you know, 
why is this the first letter that we have codified? It's like, what happened to that other letter? So is this second Corinthians or third Corinthians or is second Corinthians actually second or is it actually the first one or is it the, you know, it's actually not the first one because we learned second Corinthians is actually later in the sequence. So, but anyway, I, I continue to digress, but I just want to point that out that, you know, first Corinthians is not the first time Shaul spoke to the Corinthians, but anyway, the people in Corinth, the Lapidim, those who were uh, had the knowledge of Yeshua and held fast to the commandments. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, 8. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work. Literally that word work, avodah which is like prayer, heart service. Let your mind stay fixed and focused on Hashem type stuff. What does his word say and am I doing it? How does my life match up to the word that I proclaim? That kind of work. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So, therefore, some, com some translations say be steadfast, be immovable. Be steadfast and immovable. Like, wow. So, had Chava and Adam been steadfast and immovable in what they had before eating from this tree, uh, the world would have been a much different thing than it is now. But it had to happen for a reason. I get it. But I just think it's interesting that currently, you know, death, sickness, and evil and destruction in the world didn't have to be a thing. But because we, by the way, because all of our souls are contained in Adam, all of who we are, Adam knew about each and every generation that was to be after him. So there's a whole commentary drop on that. But anyway, uh, so us, we can't just drop this on Adam and Hava and be like, y'all messed us up. It's like, no, we were a part of them. Our desires and our urges were there. This is why we have our urges to sin. And it's like, why do we have these urges? And why are we not overcoming them? We should be. We can. That's why Hashem gave us the Torah. That's why Hashem sent Mashiach. That's why Hashem sent the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Like, we have the ability. What are we going to do with it? This is alluded to when Hashem tells Cain, which is Cain, sin crouches at the door. But you can overcome it. So check this out. So this is uh, later in Bereshit, chapter four, verse seven. It says, if you do well, will it not be lifted up? If you if you don't do well, sin crouches at the door. Its desire is for you, but you are able to overcome it. Like you can, but you must rule over it. You must subdue it and master it. These are different translations. But if you just look at the interlinear on that, it says, um, at the door, sin lies. Sin is like reclined over here. It's like, mm, I'm ready for you. And then it's like, it says, so at the door, sin lies. And for you is its desire, but you should rule over it. And I love this word for rule. So I'm going to go ahead and check this word out. It's the word mashal. And the word mashal is actually the root of parable. Because parables are called uh, mashal in Hebrew, by the way. 
So this word mashal literally translates as have dominion, reign, and bear, and cause to have ruling and have power. Hence why Mashiach always spoke in parables. And then if we had questions, we could come to him and he could give us the meaning of them, which is all power. Like he knowledge is power, right? You know, that kind of thing. So I just think it's interesting. Mashiach used parables. He's like, I'm trying to give you power. Like, do you want it or not? You know, because when you have this mashal, when you have this dominion and this, and this reign, you subdue the desire that sin has, that it's crouching at your door. Okay, so there's that. So going on to say, he therefore put all his energy, the serpent did, into seducing Hava and Adam to eat from the tree, thus opening their eyes to his existence. He opened our eyes to his existence so that at the very least he would enter into the battlefield with them because it's like look at me look i'm demonic force look at me i'm evil person over here look at me i'm bitter person over here that's gonna tick you off look at me i'm this entity this principality that you need to pay attention to you can see me now you can feel me now you can understand me now so you have to fight me when really we were never we never needed to do this. So I just think that's just absolutely insane because our eyes opening now featured, hey, check out, there's a battlefield. Look, you should suit up and fight. And the answer is no, we, we don't suit up and fight. Actually, the way we fight this battle is not by even engaging the battlefield. There's something above that. It's called service of God in the positive commandments. This is why Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the writings of Yochanan, which is John chapter 14. This is why Yeshua says, you must eat of my flesh and drink my blood. Because when you eat of me and when you drink from me, I'm going to give you so much power. And I'm going to take you to a whole nother dimension. All right. So there's that. And continuing on on page 29, it says, At times they would win, and at times he would win. Accordingly, when the Nakash told Adam and Hava about the effects of the tree and how it would give them knowledge of good and evil just like God, he was not lying. I'm going to just go out on another limb again, just all out on these limbs, that uh, Hashem definitely knows the knowledge of good and evil. He's like, yeah, this, this is a pretty bad situation, but it's got to happen. You know, like why we go through some of the most horrible things in our life. You know, Hashem knew it was, it's bad. It's horrible. But the good is going to come out of it because he knows everything. So it's just kind of like you allowed this bad thing to happen to me. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Hashem was like, I knew I know good and I know evil and I know how they work together. Like, I got this. You, you don't have to worry about it. And then. For us, it's like in hindsight, it's like, man, if I didn't go through that, such that horrible trial or that tribulation, like, mm, like, man, I would have never been where I am today. And, and Hashem is like, Baruch Hashem, you know, and it's just like, you did you just bless yourself? And it's like, well, I talk to myself all the time. Is this, do we really want to talk about this? It's like, no, 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 no. Hallelujah. I mean, praise you. You're the king. I'm not. Uh, yes. So, you know, Hashem is never like, ha ha, I got you or 
oh, you didn't know that, you know, you silly person. And, uh, I told you so like Hashem is totally not like that. He's Hashem, you know, he's, he's our King. He's merciful. He's compassionate, but he's ruling. He's just, he's sovereign, you know, like he's so beyond us, you know? So to even try to put him in a box and say how he is or how he not, how he's not, you know, that's, that's a lot. But anyway, continuing on, it says, although he failed to mention the serpent failed to mention that for man, this knowledge would be a very negative effect and bring evil into his soul. <laughs> Go figure. I forgot to tell you, Adam and Hava, Hashem knows this knowledge. You don't. But if you eat from this tree, you will. However, there's a caveat. When you do the knowledge of good and evil, it's actually going to be a negative effect and bring evil into your soul because you're going to be like, ha me. Instead of being like a shim, because I don't want you to be like a shim. So there's that. So that's Lakute Torah. So let's go ahead and jump into the Milstein Humash on this section. And one of the things I want to start with right off the bat is something about Hasatan. The, the, the serpent and it says um, let's see here this is on page 30 this is commentary on the verse about upon your belly shall you go I will put enmity which is verse 15 of chapter 3 of Bereshit it says in the commentary here it says the serpent's plan was to have Adam die and then to marry Hava so the thing is Adam should have had to eat the fruit first, but why give the fruit to the woman? Because she's going to die. So now, like, what what's that all about? But anyway, uh, so, yeah, so let's kill Adam. Let's have Hava. OK, I look like a man because I'm walking upright. You know, I'm about Adam's height. I can take him, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, and besides, Hava's cute. Hashem made her. There's that. And then it says this is. There is a lesson in this. The serpent tried to get something that was not meant for him. Not only did he not get what he wanted, he even lost what he was meant to have. Ooh, let's run that back. The serpent tried to get something that was not meant for him. Hava. Not only did he not get what he wanted. Hava. He even lost what he was meant to have. So now the question is, what was he meant to have? Let's continue see if it says anything to that. The serpent was cunning beyond any beast of the field because he was, this is what he was meant to have. You ready? He was meant to be king of the animal kingdom. There's the kingdom of man, the kingdom of beast, the kingdom of vegetation, and the kingdom of inanimates. There are four things and all four of those items are unified when we bring everything to the temple you know we have the the vessels that we use to bring everything in and then we have the vegetative kingdom and then we have the animal kingdom and then we have the kingdom of man and it all gets unified in service to god and we unify those four kingdoms and when we do that that brings about this crazy ridiculousness ridiculousness to creation when we do that but i digress so the the nakash the serpent 
was going to be or he was meant to be king of the animal kingdom. So it's just kind of like, say what? Okay. And it says, instead, he became the most cursed of the animals because he wanted to have something that wasn't his. He's like, you know, being king of the animals is not even good enough for me. I don't want to be king over any animal type thing. Everything that Adam name, I don't want to be, I don't want no part in that. I want to be above Adam. That's what I want to be. And it's like, that's not meant for you. If you try to go for that, you will lose. So note to self, what does Hashem intend for us? And are we okay with that? Or do we want something that doesn't belong to us? And are we not okay with that? Yeah, because if it doesn't belong to us, and then we're not okay with it not belonging to us, like, what is that really saying about you? Like, this doesn't belong to you. I'm not okay with that. I want it to belong to me. You're just like, hmm. Sounds like Genesis chapter 3. Sounds like someone's powered by the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So anyway, the serpent was cunning beyond any beast of the field because he was to be king of the animals, uh, the animal kingdom. Instead, he became the most cursed of the animals. He originally had hands and feet and walked upright like a person. Instead, he was punished to crawl in his belly. He was meant to eat the same foods as humans do, but now he was penalized to eat dust. He wanted to marry Hava. Instead, his children and the children of Hava would become mortal enemies. That is found in Tractate Bechorot 8a. All right. So now let's look at eating from the tree. So the first thing is if you go to the beginning of this chapter, verse three, where it says, of the fruit of this tree, of the fruit of the tree, which is in the center of the garden, God has said, you shall neither eat of it nor touch it lest you die. That was Hava speaking. So the footnote or the commentary on this says, again, I'm still in the Milstein Humash, page 27. It says, Hashem had ordered Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge. Hashem had ordered Adam not to eat from the tree of knowledge. Okay. That's the commandment. When Hava was telling the serpent Hashem's commandment, she added, nor touch it, which was not part of Hashem's instruction. Okay. So without, I'm just not going to interject. Okay. It says to convince Hava to eat from the tree, the serpent pushed Hava so that she touched the tree. Of course, she did not die from that because Hashem had never forbidden touching the tree. See, Hashem said, don't eat from the tree. He didn't command us not to touch the tree. Totally not touching the tree is fine, but don't pin that on Hashem saying Hashem said, don't even touch it. Because the thing is, if you don't touch the tree, you don't eat the tree. But Hashem was like, I don't want you to eat it. I trust you to do whatever it takes to make that not happen. If you feel like you want to say, don't touch it. If you feel like you want to say, don't look at it. If you feel like don't even go near it or whatever, that's totally fine. But what I said is don't eat it. So let's focus on that. 
Let's not go talk to the enemy and tell the enemy, well, yeah, Shem said don't eat it, nor touch it. And it's like, did Hashem say that? Because the serpent was like, oh, 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 I think I know something. I think I know something that she doesn't. Because he says, did perhaps, I'm going back to the serpent speaking in verse one, did perhaps, which is the word off, um, God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said of the fruit of any tree we may eat. Of the fruit of the tree, which is in the center. Of the, now we're back to our verse. The center of the garden, God has said. So it's like, if you just answered this question, you should not eat of, should you not eat of any tree? Like, you know, and it's like, oh, well, actually, of any tree, we can, we can eat. And it's like, but there's more that we feel like we need to divulge. You know, sometimes we can just make a statement and be done. The more we talk without paying attention to what we're getting ourselves into that leads us somewhere, you know, and because she's talking to a, a bully at this point, who's angry and scrounging his face up at her, by the way, I mean, just like, no, you need to eat from the street. Da, 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 da. And it's just like, well, you know, I can eat from any tree I want actually. So I think I'm fine. Why do you want me to go over here to this tree? Well, you brought it up lady. So let's talk about it because you brought it up and it's just like, oh, so we put our own self in our own trap because because we brought it up. Have we said, you know, Hashem said we can eat any tree we want and been done with the conversation. Be like, bye, Felicia. You know, it would have been great. It would have been we would have been done. But no, let's not not only give more information that that's unnecessary, but let's also go ahead and um, tell Hashem what he said, you know, and it's just kind of like, ooh. So the question that probably plagues the mind of most people who are not pharisaical is, uh, so why, why are we listening to what the rabbis say about the Torah? Like Hashem said that we're to keep the Shabbat and keep it holy. Okay. So don't do any labor. Don't kindle any fires. Okay, cool. So the rabbis bring down you know, what we should do. And it's kind of like, okay, so why, how is that not adding to what God said? Because the people who made these rulings of what we should do, namely the Sanhedrin, not Rambam, not Rashi, not Ramban, not Yosef Karo, okay, not any of those people, but the Sanhedrin. It's one thing to comment on what the Sanhedrin brought down, but it's another thing to say what the Sanhedrin said verbatim. You know, like there's a difference between that. And many times when we get into what the Sanhedrin said, it's typically uh, covered or overlaid, I should say, or paired with would be a better word with, you know, some extra commentary. It's like, yeah, so the Sanhedrin said da 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 da. So here's the deal. Da, 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 da. It's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. What did Sanhedrin say? Let's focus on that for a second. Because when you comment on the Sanhedrin, you're now putting yourself in a position of putting yourself over what they said. You, you're like influencing or moving the lever, so to speak. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, that, that may not be the intent. That may not be the agenda, but uh, that's kind of what happens. 
Because, like, what did the Sanhedrin say? Okay. And why did they say that? And what is that all connected to? And what was that intended for? You know, why did it come down through the Sanhedrin that we should have Arab Shabbat as a part of keeping the Shabbat? Like, why do we light candles? Why do we say Kiddush? Why do we eat Hamotzi? Unless it's Pesach and then we have matzah. Like, why do we have any of these things? It's like, okay, we'll take all those items away. Let's figure out Shabbat now. Let's figure out how to set this day apart. It's like, okay, well, I'll change my clothes. It's like, no, the rabbis already said you should change your clothes. Something else. Next. Uh, Well, I'm going to, and it's like, okay, so the statements are, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, like all this kind of stuff. So you're going to. You're going to come up with your own deal. So that's a a, mute, a moot point is basically what I'm getting at. And furthermore, the Sanhedrin was empowered by the Torah, namely in Parsha Shoftim, judges shall you appoint. And they're going to make rulings of how to keep and abide in the mitzvot. Uh, and it's just kind of like, and so that's legally binding, kind of like, you know, in America, when we make laws here in this country that, you know, it's all based off the Constitution. The Constitution implies those lawmakers to make the laws. And it's just kind of like, oh, OK, so I have to follow this. Law. I can't speed through the city because the city had the power to make the law that these are speed limits. So these are not random signposts for decoration these are things that i have to adhere to and when a when a light is red i must stop it doesn't mean think about going it doesn't mean whatever i'm going it doesn't mean move out of my way while you at this red light same thing with the sanhedrin same thing with the oral torah as brought down by said sanhedrin okay so we have to abide by it. So, continuing on with this comment on page 27 of the Milstein Humash, it says, To convince Hava to eat from the tree, the serpent pushed Hava so that she touched the tree. Of course, she didn't die from that because Hashem never forbidden touching the tree. But since she had told the serpent that Hashem had forbidden touching the tree, the serpent was able to convince her to eat its fruit. Saying, what'd he say? Just as you did not die from touching the tree, you will not die if you eat its fruit. This teaches us a lesson. Adding to Hashem's commandments leads to diminishing them. Sanhedrin 29a. That's a tractate of Talmud. So the crazy thing about this is, if if the connection would have been, well, nor touch it. It's like, well, Hashem really just commanded us not to eat from it. I actually added not touch it. And I said, Hashem said not touch it. However, when I saw that I, uh, what I added, you know, didn't cause any problems. Why should that negate what Hashem said? It's kind of like, so there's a separation there between what we're going to do Versus what Hashem said we should do, you know, and again, the positive commandments. If Hashem said we should do something, why are we going to add to it? You know, why don't we just stick with doing what Hashem said? 
in the wilderness, Hashem said, manna is going to fall for you six days a week. On the sixth day, you're going to have a double portion so that when it doesn't fall on the seventh day, you're covered. Why, from that point forward, do we need to take the extra step? Hashem, I know you said, but I'm not sure. So I'm actually going to go out and look for manna on the seventh day. And I'm going to just just uh, not take you at your word that there's going to be a double portion. And it's just kind of like, either you didn't get, either you didn't follow the, uh, the instructions uh, accurately to get your double portion, or you just was like, I don't, I'm not concerned about the double portion. I'm actually just concerned about this day that the man is not falling. So I need to figure out how to make that work. By the way, that literally is the picture of us being Shomer Shabbos, being guardians and keepers of the Shabbat. Those of us who observe the Shabbat, we should know, Hashem says six days you do your work, on the seven day you shall rest because you're not you're not above me. I'm your creator. This is what I do. And you do what I do. Okay, go. And it's like, okay, Hashem, I know you rest on the seventh day, but whatever. Seventh day, I'm working. Third day, I'll rest. And it's just like, third day, by the way, was when stuff started to sprout up from the earth. So like, you're just going to go on a day that, that I was I was working on this day, but you weren't. And then I'm not working on this day, but you are. You're even disobeying the Messiah at that point because the Messiah says, I only do what I see my father doing. Now, I know Mashiach said my father's always working. But what kind of work does one do on the Shabbat? What kind of work does Hashem do on Shabbat? I don't know. A little thing known as healing. A little thing known as blessing. A little thing known as granting peace. Another little thing known as illuminating his word that kind of work it's just like oh so he didn't he didn't make anything new on the shabbat so why are we we're not making anything new on shabbat so yeah so let's let's just think about this for a second because this is a gravity moment where we need to land for just a second and just stop and think about ourselves because if you're on shabbat and you're going to do like, oh, I'm going to build something. Uh, I'm going to compose a song. I'm going to because, you know, that hits home for me because I used to write songs on Shabbat. Now I don't. So that's kind of interesting because I, I was like, man, I get my best writing done on Shabbat. I used to sit in Shabbat service and write song lyrics to my rap songs. So like most of my albums came from the fact that I wrote songs on Shabbat. Let's flip the script. We're not supposed to write on Shabbat. Okay, this would be why you don't write on Shabbat, because if you were a person like me, man, I'm so ready to write. Okay, I, I'm going to write. And it's just like, well, you shouldn't write on Shabbat. It's like, no, 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 I need to write. Why do you need to write when you're not supposed to? Because, because, because I need to write this song. It's like, uh, that's called creating. Okay, okay, um, let me write on Shabbat. What do you need to do? I need to take notes because I want to remember this teaching. I want to remember this drosh. I want to, uh, you know, give to charity. Oh, that's a red flag. 
you know, because on Shabbat, you're not supposed to write. You're not supposed to create anything new. So check this out, pun intended. If your check is not already written on Shabbat, you're going to create a check. Okay, you're going to create a new thing. However, there's a difficulty now because this is charity. It's not you uh, manufacturing up your own thing so that you can purchase something. So this is where the water gets all like, oh, no, I know we're not. I know you ain't about to do this. And it's like, no, but let's talk about it. Because when you're a person who gives to charity, when you're a person who pays your tithes, you know, we even read in the Sidur on a daily basis. These are the precepts that are without measure, without prescribed measure. The corner of a field. No, you know what? I'm just going to quote it verbatim because I got my Sidur because that's how that's how I roll. That's how I get down. It says um, Mishnah Pe'ah 1-1. These are the precepts that have no prescribed measure. The corner of a field which must be left for the poor the first fruit offering, the pilgrimage, acts of kindness, and Torah study. So there's not a there's not a limit. There's not a measure here. Let's look at the footnote. It says the Torah does not prescribe how much is involved in the performance of the following commandments. That's in the Sidur. The Torah does not prescribe how much is involved in this performance. Charity is literally zadaka, right? So gimelut chasadim is acts of kindness. Habikurim is like your tithes, your offerings. You have something that was produced during the week and that part, that portion, which is due to Hashem, which is no more than a fifth of your income, by the way, because that's a Torah commandment. So, uh, yeah, the Torah, according to this commentary, says that the Torah does not prescribe how much is involved in the performance. Giving charity is an act of kindness. If it's not an act of kindness then uh, I'm not sure what is, you know, obviously opening a door for somebody or clothing someone who's naked or feeding someone who's starving, you know, or something like that. But charity, I mean, a person, you know, uh, I mean, wow. I mean, obviously there, there are more better times to give charity than Shabbat. I get it. But I mean, come on. So anyway, so just to the writing the check idea, this is why, you know, Rabbi Griffin of Sar Shalom and Lapid Judaism really encourages everyone, write your check before Shabbat. Like, why are you going to waste time on Shabbat writing a check? Don't waste your Shabbat writing, even though you would be allowed to write. Because if you're writing your tithe check, that's not even your money. So this doesn't even belong to you. And you're going to be obedient to Hashem because you're giving your tithe. So, I mean, this is the kind of reality that you step into when you get into such things as far as like adding and, you know, listening to the rabbis and things like that. It's just kind of like, OK, which way do I go? And it's just like, well, 
you go in the way of righteousness, you go in the way of integrity, you go in the way of shalom, if it causes the spirit of Shabbat to be quenched or uh, crushed, diminished, if it causes angst and uh, just a uh, just a horrible thing in your soul, like your Shabbat is affected, basically, then you probably want to just refrain. But it is a it is a point to make that, you know. What why why are you doing what you're doing? You know, and if you can always focus on that, you know, that that gives you sobriety. And if you're currently doing something now that is borderline, you know, bad or over the line bad or like this is totally fine. You know, is this something you can improve? Is this something you can do better? Because that's what our whole life is like. It says the righteous go from glory to glory. You know, we always, our whole life is an ascent. That's what it's supposed to be. Sometimes people are like, no, I'll plateau or actually I'll just tank out, you know, and it's just like, no, I'm going to ascend. So I would, I just want to encourage everybody that, you know, our life should be ascend, you know, and knowing that we have everything that Hashem has already given us and that we can take him at his word, like, why would we do otherwise? So anyway, uh, there there can't be a resolution uh, on, you know, uh, anything of the nature of, you know, is it right or is it wrong to pay your tithes on Shabbat? Why can't you pay them on other days? I mean, there are so many different facets to look at. And that's not something that I'm really, you know, uh, first of all, I have no authority to tell everybody the right and wrong on that. Second of all, there's a halakha so beautifully uh, written for Sar Shalom Synagogue uh, for Lapid Judaism. And, uh, you know, next of all, when Eliyahu arrives, when Mashiach gets here, it'll be all sorted out. Until then... How can we improve? How can we make things better? How can we, you know, be at shalom and following the word of God? You know, Hashem wants us to pay tithes. Hashem wants us to give to charity. So focusing on the positives as opposed to the not. You shouldn't write on Shabbat. You shouldn't uh, buy, sell, or trade on Shabbat. Well, tithing is not buying, selling, and trading, you know. And so, yeah. So anyway, I'll leave it at that because that's not really why I wanted to do this podcast. But I just thought it was interesting when we talk about instruction and adding to it and what what are what's the uh, what's the Sanhedrin and the rabbis, you know, input on the Torah and how is that not adding? But, you know, anything that we would say is and it's like because we weren't given the authority to speak into this. Just like Hava didn't have authority to say, don't touch it. Which is why when she touched it, she did not die. But notice, if you violate oral Torah, there is consequences and repercussions. So, it's just kind of like, where are you going to go with that? But anyway, moving on to the next page here. It says, of the tree... In verse 11, have you eaten of the tree? It says, Hashem asked Adam, 
Hamin Haetz. Did you eat from the tree? The name Haman or Haman is spelled out or the word Haman is spelled the same as the word Hamin, hinting to Haman who was hanged from a tree. Tractate Hulin 139b. I think it's interesting that Mashiach was also hidden or hung from a tree. And it was meant to be a tacoon for the original tree that brought us death. And literally, death of Mashiach ben Yosef, death of a righteous one, and, you know, and, and a de death on a tree and all that kind of stuff. All those different insights and commentaries point to that. So this little uh, verse seven here, talking about what type of tree was the tree of knowledge. And the Milstein edition, it says... There is disagreement about what type of tree the tree of knowledge was. Here we go. Rabbi Mir says it was a grapevine because nothing brings a person as much sorrow as wine. Rabbi Yehuda says that a child knows to call father or mother. That is, his intelligence begins to truly develop only once he has tasted grain. So the tree of knowledge was wheat. So just from these couple of opinions here, here's your kiddish. Here's why we have a distinct separation between the wine, why the bread is covered, why the hamoti is covered, the challah is covered. And then we do a hand washing ritual. And then we go into the bracha for the, the hamoti. So the tree of knowledge, it's interesting that it's those elements. You know, there was it wine, was it challah? You know, it's just like, well, there's more opinions, too. Here's another one. Rabbi Nechemiah says it was a fig tree. They made aprons from the leaves of the fig tree because they had been harmed through a fig. Tractate Sanhedrin 70b. By the way, the fig tree is likened to our Torah study and our uh, insights that we derive from there. Hence why um, there's a thing about putting figs on the fig tree and it's all related to Torah study. There was another uh, tractate of Talmud that brought this up. Let me see if I can go on Magan and find this real quick. Uh, fig tree. Hang on. It is from Tractate Eruvin. Here we go, Bukashem. I love it. Rabbi Hia Ba'arba said that Rabbi Yohanan said, What is the meaning of that which is written? He who guards the fig tree shall eat of its fruit. Proverbs 27, 18. Why were the matters of Torah compared to a fig tree? See this? Tree of knowledge of good and evil is also likened to the matters of Torah. The matters of Torah are connected with the knowledge of good and evil. That's Eruvin 54a right into 54b. Let me just finish this out just because I think it's a cool thing. Just as the fig tree, whenever a person searches it for figs to eat, he finds figs in it. So we have to point out why did Yeshua not find figs on this particular tree in the gospel accounts? Selah. <laughs> there was no matters of Torah. But anyway, it says that uh, he finds figs in it. 
So there should always be matters of Torah because men are like trees and we should be like fig trees. We should always have matters of Torah. Like this is why we should be ready with an answer for the faith that we have. So anyway, if anybody's like, okay, what you got? What you studying? It's like, oh, I got you right here. It's like, well, obviously a lot of us who study a lot, we have to hit the Rolodex for a second. It's like, do I want to drop this that I read from Rashi? Do I want this from Rabbeinu Bakia? Do I want this from, you know, Bahaturim? Like, what do I want? Like, give me a second. I got to think about all the explosives that I went through this week. Hmm. Bullet number 176 uh, was da 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 da. It's like, it'll take a second, but it, we should have something there to, to drop, you know? So if, if uh, your Rolodex is failing you when people are asking you questions, start with a question. It's like, well... Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about was da, 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 da. Like for me on this past Shabbat, it happened to me like, okay, what are we doing? I was like, you know what? I read this week about the Akedah and that Hashem did not command Abraham to bring Yitzhak as an offering on the mountain. Did you know that? And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah. And then I went to my source and then we started studying right there. So there's a little tip for you in case that helps. Anyway, Eruvim 54a through b goes on to say uh, you should find figs on this tree when you search for it as the figs on a tree do not ripen all at once this should be another little point here that your matters of torah your understanding and ability to to elucidate give insights receive insights and all that it's not going to happen all at once some things you're going to get some things you're going to be like blue screen some things you're going to be like what did you just even say? Was that English? And it's like, well, it was Hebrew. And it's like, I know, but like, even when you translated the Hebrew into English, I still was like, what are you saying? Is this Klingon? You know, like, so just understand and know that's going to happen. But then the more and more you continue to allow yourself to grow, allow your roots to go deeper, you're going to get more and more and more and you're going to get it. You're going to understand. You're going to comprehend. You're going to be like, ah, oh. and it's going to be like, oh, look at this brand new fig. Check it out. My other figs were eaten already, and this one was waiting to be eaten. And it's like, all right, cool. And this one, I didn't even know I had a fig over there. And you're like, well, congratulations. You now know Gematria. And it's like, what? When did I learn Gematria? While you were sleeping, apparently, because <laughs> you weren't aware of it. Anyway, I digress. It says, as the figs on the fig tree do not ripen all at once, so that one can always find a recently ripened fig. So, too, with matters of Torah, when a person meditates on them, he finds in them new meaning. Amen. Okay, so let's hit up the uh, the Midrash says. The Midrash says, Barashis. This is by Rabbi Weisman, or Weisman, as they say, wise man. Why is this man... No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so anyway, um, Moshe Weissman. Okay, Rabbi Moshe Weissman from B'nai Yaakov Publications. And yeah, you already know, Brooklyn, New York, because they be holding it down. While I'm on the front page here, it says, every person is obligated to ask himself. Think about this. Ask yourself this question. When will my deeds reach those of my forefathers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That's from the Tana Debai 
Eliyahu Rabbah 25. I love that source, by the way. The the Tana de the Tana Tana de Bai Eliyahu Rabbah. Like that's such a beautiful source to me. Anytime I see that uh, as a, a sighting, I like directly go, "Where was? Where were? You, what are you commenting on? What are you talking about? You know, like where? What are you doing? What do you say? What do you say? You know, like that's my thing. So as Children of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is what we are if we are believers and followers of the Word of God, because those are the only ones who follow the Word of God, children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, when will your deeds, when will my deeds reach those of my forefathers? Say to the Leah. Okay, say to the Leah. All right, so I'm going to jump all the way into page 41. Because I love thinking about this. Because before we ate from the tree, what, what was going on? So it says, not only did the trees of Ghani Den produce luscious fruits. Mm, Mouth watering already. But its soil too brought forth ready to eat food in the form of delicious pastry. There were donuts on the ground, y'all. Cake on the ground. Brownies on the ground. Okay, brownies aren't pastries. Neither are cakes, but and neither are donuts. What what kind of what kind of malarkey? Anyway, uh, what are those things called? Um, uh, fritters. Yeah, fritters, uh, turnovers, uh, pie, no, the little pie uh, pouches, pie pouches, you know, like little pastries, little puff pastries, you know, little things. Uh you know, okay, anyway, you get the point. Pastries were on the ground. I wish it was cake on the ground. I wish it was donuts on the ground, but I digress. Says it was only later when Adam sinned that he was cursed with having to work the ground and prepare his food. Y'all, the only reason we plant flowers today is because of the curse of the tree of the eight hadat. Why do we want to know all this knowledge? Why do we want to worship ourselves? basically it's like well fine since you worship yourself you can cook for yourself that's terrible okay anyway adam walked around in the garden while the angels stood ready to do his bidding they roasted meat for him and poured him wine mm. side note there was no death in all of creation at this point so what kind of meat was he eating Maybe the lamb that was slain before the foundations, because Yeshua says you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And when you eat of me, you know, you'll live, you'll have eternal life. At this point, Adam and Hava had eternal life. They had to be eaten of Mashiach. I mean, that's the only meat that wasn't dead, but he was, you know, slain already. And then it's just like, it's uh, an unlimited amount, like the bread that Yeshua passed out. I want Yeshua to do my hamotzi bracha, cause, cause I can't ever get enough challah. So I'm like, Yeshua, could you, could you like bless this for me, please? And it's just like, oh man, that after five challahs, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's still twelve more challah loaves. Oh my gosh, cause twelve plus five is seventeen, and seventeen is the gematria of tov, which is good. I'm like, oh, God is good all the time. I am so overweight, <laughs> you know, and you're like, OK, that's because you ate five hollas like all the time. 
Why are you doing that to yourself? Anyway, that was a big digression. It says they roasted me for him. The angels did. Angels prepared the manna, by the way, because they were in the uh, one of the levels of Shemaim is the level where the uh, the making of the manna happens. So, you know, if you're looking at this fact of it's roasted meat, well, remember, the manna tasted like whatever you wanted it to taste like. So what if he was just eating manna and it was like, here's some vegan meat. You know, like, I think this is so interesting that the, the vegans have figured this out. Let's make uh, cold cuts. And it's like, this is complete plant protein. It looks like meat, but it's not. And it's like, here's some fake uh, ground beef crumbles. It's like, you think it's meat, but it's not. You know, so it's like, that that already took place in the garden. So are we close to the redemption is now my new question. I hope so. Man, I'm just uh, exile is bitter okay anyway um and yeshua spit out the bitter wine so come on anyway um roasted me for him poured wine mm. gotta love some angelic wine by the way this wine that's poured here um this the wine that's poured was also given to our forefather yaakov when he went in to go give the the goat you know the prepared goat meat to his father Yitzhak. the uh the pearl k brings that out that you know it's like i i only ask you for game like just cook cook the meat man give me some meat it's like oh well here's some wine with your meat because you know you're like the the altar in the in the temple you know hashem was like pour a wine libation with that corbin you know and it's like okay it's like well, son where'd you get the wine from oh we don't have to talk about it and meanwhile, the Midrash is like, yeah, he got the wine from the angel who went to Ghani Den to go get some wine from the grapes. It's like, what? Yeah, that's a thing. That's in Perroquet de Rebbe Eliezer about when the meal was prepared for Yitzhak so he can bless his son, Asaph. But surprise, it was Ye it was Yaakov. Anyway, the meaning of this, the meaning of what? The meaning of this is that Adam's food in the garden, Ghani Den, was of spiritual nature. So this roasted meat and this wine, this is a spiritual food. Did not Yeshua say what you partake of of him is spiritual? I believe he did. And since I like to source things out, I'm going to source it out. Okay, so spiritual food and drink. Let's see here. Through the Rolodex. Can't even spell spirit because I'm so excited. All right, so spiritual food. We got first on the list, the manna. Uh, as confirmed by Shaul Hashliach in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 3. And then we got a uh, spiritual food, spiritual drink. Let's see here. So the manna, which Yeshua in Yochanan chapter six said that that manna is his flesh because he says I'm the bread of heaven. Right. OK. So Adam was already eating of Mashiach is basically what I want to say. If I haven't been super clear 
man, Shaul is all about this. Okay, so now he goes on in Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, that they drank the spiritual drink. So there's spiritual food and there's spiritual drink. So the meat is the manna because the manna could taste like whatever you wanted. Even if you wanted it to taste like meat, it would taste like meat. So again, in the wilderness, why are we asking Hashem for meat when he says, I'm giving you manna for six days a week? Because on the sixth day of the week, I'm going to give you a double portion. So literally you have manna for all seven days of the week. You don't have to worry about your food supply. If you want it to be meat, it's meat. If you want it to be a pastry, it's a pastry. If you want it to be hollow, knock yourself out. And then this wine poured for Adam here in the garden is a spiritual drink. And remember, Yeshua turned water into wine. So what's that saying about the water that comes from the rock? Which, by the way, was said to have a, a honey taste to it. And so that's later in, in Deuteronomy. You read about that, you know, honey water from the rock. But anyway, it's a spiritual drink. And then... If that wasn't enough, in Isaiah, Yeshayahu, chapter 55, it says, come by water, milk, and wine. I mean, what? You know, and then the whole connotation with milk, the milk and honey, you know, the, the milk from the goats and the honey from the date palms. So you have this whole idea of milk and, uh, and honey mixing and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just kind of like, wait, what is going on? Well, that's spiritual. You can't, I mean, it's just like, do you want, do you need milk today? Do you need water today? Do you need wine? Do you need meat today? Do you need bread today? Do you need grapes? It's just like, whoa, because that's how it is. It's, I mean, it's spiritual drink, it's spiritual food. Anyway, all of that. It says, back to page 41 in the Midrash says, Hashem allowed Adam to partake of all the fruits in the garden Chapter 2, verse 16, because Adam's food before he sinned did not accentuate his physical nature, but on the contrary, it elevated him spiritually. So in other words, those calories that sneak into your closets and sew up the hem of your clothes to make them tighter, like those things did not exist in the garden. And so he could eat all the, the puff pastries he wanted and he never got fat, but he actually got spiritually elevated. Wish that worked for kosher food today, but kosher food does make you smarter. However, if you eat donuts that are kosher all the time, it will make you wider too. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Okay, anyway. So it says, Hashem therefore wished him to have unlimited enjoyment of all the fruits. Wow, that's great. It says, what was Adam's occupation in the garden? When Hashem placed him in the garden, he instructed him, Chapter 2, verse 15. Le avda ul shamra. Work and guard. Notice the word avda, which is the root of avoda. And shomer, which is the root of, well, it is, it's a root and it's a word, to guard. Hence why I'm called shomer man. So you're supposed to work, you're supposed to like pray, and you're supposed to be shomer mitzvot. Pray, study, pray, study, pray, study. Mm, sounds like Shabbat. It says, okay, and eat, because eating is a form of praying uh, as well, by the way, which is why we pray before and after while we eat, and why we should Torah study or talk words of Torah while we eat. Hence why Sar Shalom has what's called table sparks. Get you some. Okay, anyway, so being uh, Avoda and being Shomer, you know, that's what we're supposed to do in the garden. 
And that's what we do at the table because that's a little piece of the garden for us. Okay, what work was there to be done in the garden that Hashem commanded work and guard it? The meaning cannot be that its vineyards required pruning. Sleekah, this is probably why Yeshua would say, my father is the vine dresser. You know, he, he's taking care of the vineyard, you know, so I'm the true vine and you're the branches. Think about all that, you know, so it's kind of like, what? So the, the, there's no pruning needed in this garden, nor that its earth had to be plowed or raked for the, for all the trees grow by themselves. Think about the parable of the soils now, because in the garden, you didn't have to plow and rake the soils, but now in our fallenness, we do have to plow up our own soil. And we do have to prune our branches. So this is all spiritual growth stuff. This is why I tell us that our growth and our life is an ascent. You know, every year we should be higher, newer, better, faster, stronger, more spiritual. Because why? Because if you let your vineyard grow over, if you let your ground never get raked up, you're going to have some issues with a, with a harvest and bearing fruit and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, think about that. It says, we might think that Adam was required to irrigate the garden. Yet this was not so either, for it states that a river went forth from Eden to water it. Chapter 2, verse 10. What kind of work was it then that Hashem assigned to Adam? Here we go. Hashem commanded him to occupy himself with the Torah and guard its mitzvot. It was Adam's task to eat of the tree of life which, by the way, is the Torah, which was in the center of the garden. So now the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in the center of the garden. And then the tree of life is in the center of the garden. So are they next to each other? Are they on top of each other? Are they the same tree? You know, all these different questions come out. I just want to point out they're not the same tree, because if we did eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and wanted to eat from the tree of life, it's like, well, they're not the same tree. OK, so just rule that out real quick. But anyway, it says, because the tree symbolizes the Torah about which it is stated in Mishlei, Proverbs 3.18. It is a tree of life to those who uphold it. It was Adam's task then to toil in the Torah. So let's go ahead and fast forward to the unfortunate events. It says all the Torah narratives, this page 44, were recorded for us so that we might study and learn from them. Why should the Torah relate to us about Adam's sin? Question mark. The purpose of this narrative is to make us aware of spiritual dangers we must avoid and to improve our way of life. The problem with not being Torah observant is that you have a lack of what can make you aware of spiritual dangers and you also don't have a way to improve your life. This is why Yeshua says, I am the way to avoid the spiritual dangers, I might add the truth and the life because I help you improve your way of life. So not that that's it and all, and that's not codified commentary, but you can easily see how that's a statement that the Torah would say, because I'm speaking about Yeshua, who is the, the manifested Torah. He said that anyway, the angels in heaven claimed let us contrive a plan to make Adam sin before his creator. Okay, hold up. The angels are not on our side. It's like, I thought y'all were standing by and, and serving us wine and, you know, manna meat, you know, or meat manna. 
And it's just like, yeah, we're going to figure out a plan and make y'all sin. That's unfortunate. Okay, so it says the Samic Mim, known as Hasatan or, you know, Satan, it says, was the great master among the angels. He flew down to the earth to find a creature suited, pun intended, because he's going to dress up in it, like the spirit dresses up in us, like, like the word dressed up in Yeshua, you know, kind of thing. But anyway, as spirits, the way they have ability in this earth, you have to give them a suit. So, you know, there's that. Anyway, um, they, a creature suited for the task of tempting Adam and Hava. Find a creature that's suited for that task. What is the best creature to tempt Adam and Hava with? Hence why we had to learn that the serpent was the most cunning. He's the only one who had the best chance. And it's just kind of like, wow, the king of the animal kingdom is the only one who had the best chance to make man fall. Okay. Adam and Hava and caused them to transgress Hashem's command. He found none as cunning as the snake, the serpent. Hashem originally intended that the snake be elevated above the rest of the animals by becoming a servant to mankind. Animals were going to be our servants and not something we had to be afraid of, not something that we had to like, you know, you know, buck up against like you will listen to me. It was like, no, you're going to you're going to help serve mankind because everybody is here to praise Hashem, like all creation, all souls, all creation shall praise Hashem, you know. So it's like, yeah, so you get the king of the animals, like all the animals have to listen to this one particular animal, which was the serpent. And it's like, okay, so the serpent says we have to serve mankind, which when we serve mankind, we're going to be serving Hashem. So that's cool. It's like, well, let me go ahead and uh, dress up in the serpent real quick and and corrupt that process. So it says for this purpose, back to the commentary, he had endowed it with two characteristics. Two characteristics, because the serpent was supposed to serve mankind, it had two characteristics. It possessed the power of speech, and it walked upright. Power of speech, and it walked upright. Okay. So the king of the animals had the power of speech, and it walked upright. That's crazy. Samak Mim selected the snake for this purpose. He descended to the earth, rode on the back of the snake, just like you would ride on a camel, imbuing the snake with his spirit. Whatever the snake spoke henceforth was inspired by Samic Mim. So the, sn the snake did not have his own words. Here's another reason why the Gematria of Mashiach and the Gematria of Nakash, which is serpent, are the same because they don't speak with their own words. If you have a Mashiach speaking with his own words, he's a false Mashiach. Anyway, before they sinned, evil impulses were not integrated into the personality of Adam and Hava, but they were totally pure and good. Before we sinned, evil impulses were not integrated into our personality. Mm, we were totally pure and we were totally good. So we never was like, oh, I'm going to 
boy, I'm going to choke you or, oh, I'm going to cut this person off. Oh, I'm going to give this person the finger. Like, oh, I'm going to like all the most like vile things that we can do as humans. Like that, that did not exist. That was not a part of us until we ate that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Says now the snake, Samic Mim, approached them with the proposition to taste from the tree of knowledge of good evil, which it says dash to instill into themselves the knowledge of evil. Footnote, the attraction presented to them was tremendous because Adam and Haba felt that their share in sanctifying Hashem's name was limited. It consisted in the single task of constantly elevating themselves to a higher level. Now the snake dangled before them a novel opportunity to achieve greatness, to taste the flavor of evil, then to reject it and thereby to achieve a new aspect of Kedusha. Because by the way, when you reject evil, like when you overcome your temptations, you do experience a new level of Kedusha. The problem is your tasting of evil, though, if you eat this fruit. Or, well, we ate the fruit already, so we tasted of evil. So there's more to it than us just overcoming and like spitting it out. It says the arguments of the snake which was the Samic Mim, intrigued Adam and Hava and made them believe that by lowering themselves temporarily to taste of the fruit of evil, they would ultimately profit and sanctify Hashem's name to a greater degree than was possible previously. That's from the Nefesh HaChaim, piece of Jewish literature, says they erred, they erred. Hence why Hashem tells us to taste and see that he is good. Don't taste and see of good or evil, but taste and see that. Taste and see of me. How about that? Okay, but anyway, we erred when we decided to do this, though. It says, Hashem remarked about their mistake in Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 29. God made Adam straight, but they sought many devices. That's from the Midrash Agada. Okay, so we get all this and all that happens, right? We eat the fruit. It says, okay, so the Yetzahara, which is our evil inclination, which is where all our evil urges and desires come from. Note that the Yetzahara should not necessarily be deemed evil because it, it wants what it wants. You know, the Yetzahara causes us to say, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. I need to go to sleep. You know, I will, uh, I'm excited. I want to go do something, you know, productive, all that kind of stuff. That comes from the Yetzahara. If you don't have a Yetzahara, you don't, you're not going to want to go to work. You're not going to, you're not going to want to go procreate, you know, and have children be fruitful and multiply to Hashem and all that kind of stuff. So your Yetzahara literally has to be harnessed in your service to Hashem because it's going to empower you to, uh, you know, I want to do the best I can do on this, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, it says the Yetzahara found the opportunity he was seeking because of the slight shade of egoism displayed by Adam. So this previous paragraph here says, um, In truth, Hashem had not prohibited touching, but Adam imposed this prohibition as an additional insurance that they would avoid any closer contact with the tree. Adam was so pleased with his idea. Adam was pleased with his idea. This is good. 
there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You know, what is pleasing and good in our eyes, apart from Hashem, you know, that's kind of, it's like, okay, do you think this is a good idea or does Hashem think it's a good idea? Let's talk about that. It says Adam was pleased with his idea. It was, it says Adam was so pleased. Oh, not just pleased. He was like so pleased with his idea that he neglected to mention to Hava that it was merely his own precaution to safeguard Hashem's law. When you read the rabbinic uh, commentary on things, they're right up front letting you know, hey, this came from da-da-da-da-da. That's why it always says Rabbi so-and-so said in the name of Rabbi so-and-so said in the name of Rabbi so-and-so. Like, it's important to read all that because it's not just one man just one gunning this thing. Like, all the rabbinic commentary came from somewhere. It wasn't like, oh, I'm so pleased to say this is the commentary on this. It's like, okay, because that's not really... I mean, they're out front letting you know, hey, this is this is a mitzvah de Rabbanan. This is a rabbinic mitzvah, not a Torah mitzvah, you know, so like this is something that we uh, brought forth like elucidate, like namely candle lighting. You know, we do candle lighting. You know, this will be a beautiful transition into Shabbat, all the things that go with it. So study the commentary on why we light candles on Shabbat. And you'll get all of that uh, extra information. So anyway, says the snake slyly exclaimed. Notice his actions. He's sly. We talked about him earlier being angry, pushy, pun intended, bullying. Like I'm going to catch y'all and trip y'all up. I should be your servant. But actually, I want you to serve yourself because when you serve yourself, you're going to give me an opportunity to be above you. That's what I want. But anyway, it says now he's sly. Being sly is not a good thing. Says, do you know the true reason why Hashem forbade you to taste from the tree? Every craftsman hates his competitors. By the way, it's important to note, I literally just read in the big green book of the Psalms, the Tehillim, Midrash, and all the commentaries, that Hashem is totally fine with competitors when it comes to righteousness. Hashem's like, oh, you think you're more righteous than me? What you got? And then it's like, oh, you think you're more righteous than homeboy? What he got? Oh, everybody wants to get righteous up in here? What y'all got? What y'all do? Like, so it was it was beautiful. I came across that piece of commentary and I was like, what? Hashem is all about being competitive if it's for righteousness? Which is why I was like, Avengers, hello. Like, this is legit. But anyway, Hashem himself ate from it and created the universe, This the serpent says. Serpent says Hashem himself ate from it. So, okay. Again, remember, we learned knowledge of good and evil to Hashem is not the same as it is to us. So there's that. Now he's trying to prevent you from partaking of it. Lest you become like him and create worlds too. This is why we should know life and death is in the power of the tongue. We do have the ability to create worlds and we do have the ability to destroy worlds. So how are we using our language? But anyway. Commentary says the snake took action. He pushed Hava against the tree. You see, he said, you did not die from touching the tree. Neither will you die when you eat its fruit. So all of that. With these words, the snake wished to tempt Hava with the lure of new knowledge of evil. Don't you just love yourself some fresh new knowledge of evil? Because <laughs> that's what the serpent was like. It's like, I just want you to have new knowledge of evil. 
We can talk about the good later. I, you just get this evil, though. Taste this. Taste and see this evil is good. I mean, taste and see this evil is, you know. It's like, are you going to finish your statement? Nope. Because if I say taste the tree, I mean, well, there's good in it, but I want you to focus on the evil because that's the part I need. I need you to work this out for me. Okay. Because I'm sly, I'm bullying, and I'm pushy, and I got things to do, and you taking my time. Like, hurry up. Fall already. Anyway, Hashem created this world by obscuring his presence in order that human beings rediscover him. And then it says, and by dispelling the darkness, sanctify his name. And gain a share in eternity. You can do the same by eating of the tree of knowledge. This is what the serpent. The one who is sly and angry and pushy is telling you. Here's some wisdom for you. It's like consider the source. Do you want to learn from a person like that? You will become acquainted with the forces of evil. And by overcoming them. Will create a will create new spiritual worlds. You will be acquainted with the forces of evil. And by overcoming them, you will create new worlds. Don't you just love yourself a fresh serpent? Okay, anyway, that is from the Meek Tav Me'eliyahu, volume 2, page 140. All right, so let's bring it home, y'all. Thank y'all for just be being there, you know, hanging out with me on this tree stuff. Because this has been something I've been wanting to do forever and finally just take the time to do it. And I think it's important that we know because this is the framework of the reality that we live in until the final redemption happens. Like we have to battle against sin like we normally we didn't have to battle. But because we ate of this fruit, because we have all these urges in us, we now think, oh, man, I got to go fight evil. I got to go defeat the forces of darkness. I got to go handle my business today. It's like, well, we only have to do that because what we lost. And we only can't fathom and perceive Hashem in all these beautiful ways because of what we lost. Religions upon religions upon denominations upon denominations only exist because of what we lost. Why? Because we ate something that we thought was going to give us something that we didn't have, which there was nothing we lacked. And by the way, the only reason we ate it is because we listened to something or someone tell us do it. And it wasn't Hashem. Think about how that would have went down if Genesis chapter three was about Hashem coming down saying hey eat from this tree you know not pushy not angry full of joy because that's what mashiach is he's like hey eat from this tree take my yoke up on you drink draw water with joy from the wellsprings of yeshua literally salvation that happens to be my name but okay Let's not get caught up on that. Focus on the father. You know, this is why I tell you when you ask me, how should we pray? I say, our father who is in Shemaim. I don't ever say Yeshua HaMashiach who dwells in Shemaim. I say our father. I want you to focus on your father. Focus on having a soft heart. Focus on being a new creation. Focus on life, light, 
Torah, mitzvot, shalom, like tree of life stuff. Get rid of the, the evil, like banish it. I now gave you a mashal. I gave you a dominion now. Okay, like let's let's handle our business. So Lakute Torah again, uh, finishing out here, page 23. It says <clears throat> until the coming of Mashiach and the resurrection of the dead, the purpose of our divine service relates to fixing the damage of this grave sin and returning the world to the refined state that it was in prior to sin. This is Parsha Chaye Sarah this week as I'm doing this podcast. And one of the things that I, Bezrat Hashem, want to talk about during that uh, elucidation of Parsha Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, is that why are we here? And, and what is the Chaye that we're living? What is the life? What is our life? You know, and, and really get into that. And I find it so interesting that I'm talking about until Mashiach returns, until the resurrection of the dead, because by the way, the word for coming and return is the same word in Hebrew, Yavo. Anyway, I digress. And it says, so the purpose of our divine service relates to the fixing of the damage from Genesis chapter three. I mean, that's your Chaye, that's your life. Fix the damage. Everybody in the world, Hashem allowed all of us to be born because we have a specific thing that our life is meant to do. Each one of us have our little thing that we need to do, or shall I say our, our big thing, because everybody literally is compared to a world. So literally, when people say, what's going on in your world? Because you are, you're a world. So Hashem is like, I need you world to fix over here. I need you world to fix over there. I need you world to fix over here. Everybody has their, they got to fix. The thing is, the only way you're going to be able to, to actually work, you got to have the right tools. You got to know what your skill set is and all that. And the way you find that is in divine service. The way, the truth, and the life. Avodah and Shomer. Okay. Going on, the next thing I highlighted, it says, how did the Nakash have more knowledge of the power of this fruit than Adam, than even Adam, the wisest of all beings? You thought Shlomo was wise? Psh, Adam, man. Because Shlomo was only wise after we ate from the fruit. But Adam was wise before we ate from the fruit. That's a whole nother level. Like, we can't even fathom that. All right. So the question is, uh, or not the question, because there's a little part that it goes in the question, but I just want to hit the high points here. Still on page 23, it says, so we did not merely transgress a command of Hashem, but we also became physically affected by the fruit, having it change our essential nature and personality. So this is not the real us. This is why one of those things is that the real the will know even as we are known, you know, in the time, the coming of the Mashiach, the resurrection of the dead and all that. This is why we find our true life when we lose what we think is our life. Like if you really want to know truly who you are, you have to lose your life. You know, you have to get lost in divine service, get lost in guarding and um, 
guarding and tending to Hashem's Torah. Then you'll find out your true nature. You'll find out your true personality. You might just find out you're a Avenger, by the way, which is kind of low fruit on the pole because we're even I mean, that's just that's just fun, you know, but there's way more than that. You'll you'll you even learn your name. Get you some of that. Anyway, it says it opened their minds and hearts to the concept of good and evil. Other high points. Serve Hashem and avoid doing wrong. Why then did Hashem prohibit them from eating from the tree? Why did he feel so threatened after it was done? Those, these are some questions. And then it goes on to say, because there's a danger for obtaining the knowledge of good and evil. Hashem turned to the angels and told them, now man is like one of us and has the knowledge of good and evil. There is an essential difference between the knowledge of good and evil possessed by spiritual beings and that of man. Knowledge of good and evil for the angels is simply a matter of knowing facts. This knowledge does not affect them in a negative way and does not make them attracted to evil. On the contrary, this knowledge allows them to stay far from evil due to their lack of a Yetzirah. However, man's knowledge of good and evil has a very different effect. As soon as man has knowledge of evil, a subconscious lust for this newly recognized evil enters into his heart and becomes expressed in his attraction to experiencing the evil act. Furthermore, this mixture of good and evil causes not only an emotional lust for the evil, but a twisted conception of boundaries of good and evil and at times mistaking good for evil and at times mistaking evil for good boy is that not true today the effect that knowing evil has on man is similar to the level of evil that was found in the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge this tree was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil as it contained both good and evil in summary, in conclusion, people need to shelter themselves from the exposure to violence, immorality, acts of depravity and evil, whether it's be through media, pictures, movies or Internet. It is the job of all parents and educators to ensure that their children and their students are properly sheltered from the evil portrayed in the above media outlets in order to assure their healthy and spiritual moral upbringing. Today's society, people are easily exposed to all forms of sin and evil. Some may erroneously think that this exposure contains no harm. I am not taking part in the evil and I do not ever contemplate performing it. End quote. However, in truth, this exposure contaminates the soul. This is why you don't put yourself in holiday parties that are idolatrous or go to occasions and events that expose you to all that stuff. And it brings a person towards lust and attractions for matters of sin and evil that were never before a part of his nature. Wow. Well, I just want to point out that... Uh, you know, my Or HaKaim drop 
you know, about um, Hava, you know, is that, you know, he gives all these arguments, right? And he's doing all these false things and, and all this stuff. But Hava, he says on page 174 in the Or HaKaim, Hava cleverly responded to everything implied by the serpent's words in accordance with what we have explained above that the serpent intended to present three distinct arguments. Thus, she answered him by countering each argument implicit in his words. First, she addressed his assertion that all the trees were forbidden. Okay. Uh, either based on the claim that all trees of the garden were grown from the branches of that tree that were bent into the ground and they still derive nourishment from the Etadas because there was a whole drop that uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil wasn't just that particular tree. There were other branches that were grafted from that tree that were planted. You know, it was just like these bunch of branches that were all planted throughout the garden, but they ultimately were rooted in that tree. And Hava saw through that and she's like, well, I'm not going to eat from that branch. All those trees over there are forbidden. And she says, oh, man, you know. So anyway, this is one of many, um, you know, backing up like a Tonka truck that uh, Orha Kaim has done for Hava. Like she knew what was up. She's like, yeah, you ain't fooling me when I tell you all trees are forbidden. I'm talking about all that's grafted into the tree of knowledge and good evil. Don't play me, boy. I ain't playing around. So anyway, on that note, I just want to um, bless everybody and, and, you know, and thank you for uh, being with me. I hope th this information was helpful, cohesive. Uh, we got into some deep stuff and we got into some whoa, red flag stuff. And, um, you know, and now we're here. So Bezrat Tashem, what the takeaway of this podcast is, serve Hashem beyond what you know of yourself. If it's in his Torah, do it. The oral Torah helps us fulfill the written Torah. The written Torah pushes us to the oral Torah. So these two have to work hand in hand. You want to make sure you have the ability to navigate through these things with a leader. You can't just think of these things on your own and have your own mentality and your own mindset. You know, and Hashem has given us his Ruach HaKodesh. So, you know, we have the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. So may that be our prayer that the Ruach HaKodesh that Hashem has given us will be used to guide us into all truth. May it be so. May we soon see the final redemption revealed speedily in our days with the return of Mashiach Yeshua, the revealing of Mashiach Ben David, the resurrection of the dead and the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash and the new Yerushalayim. May it be so. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vekhaye holam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha Torah. Amen.